city of Ai, after having dealt with the city of Aiken. And uh, we remember that uh, when they came into the land, uh, certainly they were, you know, spreading terror. I mean, they people had heard about the Exodus. They they heard about the conquering of, you know, Sihon and Og and things like that. And even Rahab had said that you know people's hearts were just melting with fear and terror that has fallen on them. That's two nine. You also they see that in five one. Um, you know, the reputation had preceded them, and so uh, they're able to conquer Jericho, and and they go up against I with just three thousand men and get badly defeated and you know then they find out it's because of Achan having taken some of the spoils of Jericho they deal with him and then they're able to conquer I so that's where we're at obviously we haven't conquered everybody that needs to be conquered yet but we you know they've conquered the first couple of cities so what's going to happen from here on out well chapter 9 verses 1 to 15 now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan in the hill country and in the lowland and all, and on all the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite heard of it, that they gathered themselves together with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they also acted craftily and set out on ascent and set out as envoys, and took worn-out sacks on their donkey, and wineskins worn out and torn and mended, and worn-out and patched sandals on their feet, and worn-out clothes on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. They went to Joshua to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you, and where do you come from? They said to him, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon king of Heshbon, and to Og king of Bashan, who was at Ashtaroth. So our elders and all the inhabitants of our people spoke to us, saying, Take provisions in your hand for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants, now then make a covenant with us. This our bread was warm when we took it for our provisions out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now, behold, it is dry and has become crumbled. These wineskins which we filled were new, and behold, they are torn. And these are clothes, and our sandals are worn out because of the very long journey. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. Okay, so a little bit different setting right here. In verses 1 and 2, you've got some of these uh, nations that are inhabiting the land, and they uh, hear about what's been going on, and what do they do? Get ready to fight. Does that strike you as a little unusual, a little different than what you might have been expecting? Mm -hmm. 
what seems a little different from what the context has been. Everyone that fought that lost, so you would think they'd run. And we knew that they felt how? Terrified. Terrified and, and fearful. And yeah, so I, this doesn't seem like the thing you'd expect terrified, fearful people to do. You would expect them to run. So what's going on with that, do you think? I think it's a fairly normal reaction. Like, when you are terrified, you maybe do a couple of things, but one of them is be like, okay, well, let's get everything together and, you know, go try our best. And that may be. Maybe this is just a desperate, okay, we'll try it. You know, we'll do the best we can. United, we can fight them. I think there's another option. Well, because of the defeat of the Israelites at, at AI, they're no longer seen as invincible, and their heart, the hearts of all the people around may not be quite so melted. That's what I'm wondering. They saw Israel could be defeated. Granted, Israel came back and won the second battle, but they hadn't lost anything. The fact that they lost that first battle, Israel is not invincible. Could this be starting to make them think, you know, if we banded together, if we really fought hard, we think we might be able to get them. You know, it's like a ball team that, you know, never loses ever. And then they lose three in a row, and it's like, suddenly the spell's broken. Okay, they can be beat. I don't know. Maybe that's not right. Maybe it's just, you know, their desperation, they come together. But it just made me wonder about that. It does remind me of, like, Psalm 2, where the kings of the earth band together against the Lord and against his anointed. You know, the Lord's kingdom seems to unite people, either with him or they unites his enemies with each other against him. So uh, they all joined together, one accord, to fight with Joshua with Israel. Now, I think what we've got here is now uh, kind of a parenthesis. You know, while this is happening, they're getting it together, they're going to fight. We have this story of something that happens. And what happens is these Gibeonites, they know about what Joshua did at Jericho, and we know they know how he ultimately defeated I. And they're scared, and they have a different plan. What's their plan? Trick them into making a covenant with them. And how do they trick them? Act like they came a long distance. Because the Israelites are prohibited from making any kind of a, an agreement, any kind of a covenant with people in the land. In fact, what were they supposed to do with the people in the land? Destroy them. Yeah. Annihilate them, you know. So they weren't supposed to make a covenant, but if it was somebody from way out, they could do that. And so these people pretend they're from a long ways away. Now, how did they get the Israelites to believe that? They wore costumes. Yeah, they had some brilliantly conceived costumes. <laughs> what do they wear? Worn out clothes, patched sandals, The their luggage is worn out, their drink coolers and food are worn out and yeah, all of that stuff. Where did they come from? Like <laughs> China? Yeah. Or, <laughs> yeah. or outer space? <laughs> they had had to go a long, long way. This was on foot, we're assuming, but still, yeah, you're right. But the Israelites just came from a long way. Of course, God made their clothes not wear out on them. But. Well, they also, all the other nations, even later, that 
travel all those from those far countries travel into there and out without I would assume without bringing a change of clothes. <laughs> These were new clothes when we left. Look at them now. <laughs> Twenty years ago. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, they haven't even been in the landline. They thought that they weren't allowed to make covenant with the people in the land. I don't know, but yeah. they obviously realized that if they're from a long way away, Israel's probably okay with this. I'm not sure how they knew that. Uh, but they seem to sense that. What I don't get is how their bread hasn't like molded and gone to pieces in the time that it took their clothes and their sandals. Well, it's dry and crumbly. <laughs> they're completely out. <laughs> Very true. They're not very logical. I was a young man when I was <laughs> <laughs> Now I'm old. <laughs> I came from exactly. Mars and it just seems years. a little bit fishy. Exaggerated. Yes. Over the top. Yes. Yeah, yeah and then the to top. point out, they're like, oh, well, this bread, we took it right out of the oven. Look at this. And then, yeah, you wouldn't have. That's our proof that we came from a long way. Well, the Israelites said, perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? They will. That might be the case. <laughs> but they were ready with their answer. Yeah, oh yeah, they were ready for that question. <laughs> but I agree with Chris. It does strike me as just a little preposterous. I mean, really? Wonder why the Israelites believed it. I mean, because they did suspect it. I wonder if part of it is, like in verse 9, the Gibeonites are saying, your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. And we've heard of of Him and everything that He did and everything that you did. And it, if it's just a matter of simple flattery. I think so. I think it swells their head. You mean we're that important? You mean those people way far away are hearing about us? Wow! I think, it. I think you know, that, that's... Uh, you know, these people from a long ways away even want to make a covenant with us. And, and notice, did you notice what they told about and what they didn't tell about, the Gibeonites? Only because there's a note in here ah. that says, The Gibeonites were clever, not to mention Israel's recent victories. News they would not have known had they come from a long distance. Yes, exactly. They tell about Sihon and Og. They don't mention what had really motivated them, which was the battles against Jericho and I. Presumably they left so long ago they didn't even know about them gaining those victories. You never learn anything while you're traveling. Yeah, well, yeah, good point. But it looks to me so like this. have a hot spot or something. Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. I mean, uh... <laughs> the Wi-Fi signal may not have been so good back then. Uh, so, um, I, I, it looks to me like the Israelites were not very sober-minded about this to begin with. And I wonder if they're not flattered by this fame they find out they've got a long ways away. And the bottom line is, verse 14, they did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Ultimately, they needed to ask the Lord's advice. What does the Lord say about, about this situation? But they think they can figure this one out themselves. They don't need the Lord's help. And that's always a dangerous mistake for us. What, what is in it for Israel to make a covenant with them anyway? 
Good point. You know, they have absolutely no nothing right. to gain in that. We're going to come and conquer you anyway, and you'll become our slaves. So we can make a covenant, and you become our servants, or <laughs> you know, which is what they did with the surrounding, supposedly with the surrounding nations. And if they're far away, it's not like a military advantage to. We'll make a covenant if you'll give us some of your bread. That's what <laughs> <laughs> so that old crumbly stuff. <laughs> Good for dressing. Yeah, I mean, it is a little hard to understand the Israelites. It doesn't, even on a logical standpoint, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And they already already are suspicious. And then they let themselves be talked into it, and they don't ask the Lord's advice. We never make wise decisions when we don't turn the Lord to the Lord, and we try to seek what His will is. It's like trying to answer something from our head instead of looking to see what the Bible says. Well, I know the answer to that. Well, do you? You know, how do we if we don't know the answer that God gives? That's the thing we've got to be sure about. And they didn't do that. And so, but they make the agreement, okay, you know, they swear in the name of God or whatever that they've got a peace treaty with the Gibeonites. Comments and thoughts on all that? It says they were Hivites. Mm-hmm. Hivites. Hivites. Is that? I think. They, I think they would be. Yeah, I think they'd be Hivites from the place of Gibeah. That's what I think. Or Gibeon. Uh, so I think Gibeon would be the city, and Hivite would be the nationality. We know anything else about them? No. I mean, I say no. There's some references to them later on as uh, well, servants. Well, who like? You know, Esau was the Edomites, and the Moabites were lots. We don't have that. I think they were random, like the Hittites or the Jebusites. Yeah, I mean, unless, I don't believe, but I may be wrong. Would the Hivites be, or Hivites be in the Table of Nations in Genesis 10? They might be. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, they are. Okay. Um, in Genesis ten fifteen, Canaan, who was Ham's son, became the father of Sidon and Heth and the Jebusite and the Amorite and the Girgashite and the Hivite and the Archite and the Sinite and the Arvadite and the Zemorite and the Hamathite. So evidently, the Hivites were descendants of Canaan, son of Ham. Other questions or comments? That's Canaanites, huh? Yes, that's correct. From Ham's son, Canaan. And there was a curse placed upon Canaan because of Ham's transgression with Noah that is fulfilled in there wiping out these Canaanites. Uh, the other thing about the why the others were joining together to fight, I mean, it just... I would say it just appears that they thought they were strength in numbers and yes. doing that. And I would, I guess I would look at the Gibeonites as the defense of that position because they didn't think they could win even if they joined with the others. So they had to come up with another plan to, so I don't know if they were, if they were necessarily bolstered by the loss at I or, or what it was one of the others. But. Right. 
Well, the, the, these Gibeonites certainly seem to have been impressed by the victory subsequently at I and at Jericho. So, you know, they have a different approach than the others, at least. They feel the need to make peace. They, they're afraid of Israel. Well, it worked. It did. Well, and they're good at think You think the other seven or eight nations could have done the same thing? <laughs> <laughs> gotten away with it? Man, we've news gotten around. Well, there's nobody lives here. They're all from afar. Yeah, we're making peace with half of North America, or wherever these people are supposed to be from. Well, and it, it, looking at the map, <clears throat> Gibeon would have been like the next city on the chopping block. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you're coming in from the east, and you've got Jericho, and then Ai, and then Gibeon. <laughs> so I, I don't know that they thought they had enough time to rally with the forces if they would have their their city probably still would have been lost so yeah who knows the the others though we're going to find out are not happy about Gibeon not joining the coalition forces they need to be a team player what are you looking oh I take it back (laughs) yeah he said okay. Anybody else? All right. Uh, so, 16 to 27. came about at the end of three days after they had made a covenant with them that they heard that they were neighbors and that they were living within their land. Then the sons of Israel set out and came to their cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon and... Shepharah mm-hmm. uh, and Beeroth and Kiriath Jerim and the sons of Israel did not strike them because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord the God of Israel and the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders but all the leaders said to the whole congregation we have sworn to them by the Lord the God of Israel and now we cannot touch them this we will do to them even let them live lest wrath be upon us for the oath which we swore to them and the leaders said to them <clears throat> let them live so they became Hewers of wood and drawers of water for the whole congregation, just as the leaders had spoken to them. And Joshua called for them and spoke to them, saying, Why have you deceived us, saying, We are very far from you when you are living within our land? Now, therefore, you are cursed, and you shall never cease being slaves, both hewers of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. So they answered Joshua and said, Because it was certainly told your servants that the Lord your God had commanded his servants, Mo- his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. Therefore, we feared greatly for our lives because of you, and have done this thing. And now, behold, we are in your hands. Do as seems good and right in your sight to do to us. Uh, Thus he did to them, and delivered them from the hands of the sons of Israel, and they did not kill them. But Joshua made them that day hewers of wood, drawers of water for the congregation, and for the altar of the Lord to this day in the place which he would choose. So in three, the Gibeonites had heard what Joshua did to Jericho and I. Now in 16, the Israelites, after three days, uh, hear that the Gibeonites were actually neighbors of theirs living in the land. Uh-oh. You know, don't you hate hearing those things right after you make the covenant with them? It's like, oops, I think we made a mistake there. And uh, sure enough, and so they uh, they they come to their cities. Now, what can they do? Are they going to go ahead and wipe them out, even in spite of the agreement they made? 
Personally, I would say yes, because the agreement was on false basis, but <laughs> it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't appear that they asked the Lord about that either. And, and that's what I was going to say, that I would have thought that it would make sense to bring it before the Lord and said, oh, okay, God, we, we, we messed up here, we made this, this bargain, what should we do? You know, we're sorry, we, you know, we'll do better in the future, but do we kill them or do we keep them as slaves? What they choose to do, and I think the right thing is, they realize they use the name of the Lord in the oath. And they can't go back, they can't not fulfill the oath they spoke in the name of the Lord. That's their reasoning. Now, I don't know that they asked the Lord's advice. Maybe they felt like since they knew what the Lord said about breaking an oath in his name, they knew that. Um, but, I mean, I don't think they're doing this because they want not to break the oath, but because they feel like it would not be right since they used the name of the Lord in the oath. Now, I think the lesson is you don't make an oath in the name of the Lord until you talk to the Lord and you're sure that it's something you want to do. I mean, it's like, wow, it's so foolish to speak too quickly and to act without consulting the Lord and without really investigating things quickly. But when we're being flattered and things like that, we tend to make hasty and unwise decisions. So to me, that's the lesson. Uh, but I think they did, they did the right thing in keeping the oath that they took in the name of God. That would be what I would say. You know, they talk to the Gibeonites, why did you do this? And basically, well, it's because, you know, we knew you were supposed to destroy all the inhabitants of the land. We were scared. And so that's why we, we you know, pulled this charade. And uh, so they, they seem perfectly okay to be servants, just don't kill us. And so that's what happened. Joshua made them that day hewers of wood and drawers of water for the congregation, for the altar of the Lord to this day, in the place which he would choose. They end up being servants of the tabernacle, hewing wood and drawing water. You know, maybe you wouldn't thought about that, but, you know, they've got to have some wood for all the fire, the burnt uh, offerings and things like that. And so they actually become temple servants. Um, do they remind you of anyone? Somebody that made an oath, rash vow to the Lord? Well, that, I'm thinking about Rahab. You know, because they both had people swear to preserve their lives... They both uh, talked about the, the great acts of the Lord. Their descendants continued among the Israelites. And both of them ended up, despite being Gentiles, being very much in the center of Israel. Rahab and the descendants and the ancestors of, of David and, and of Jesus. And these Gibeonites, you know, the ones who served the altar, hewing the wood and drawing the water. So, this kind of reminds me of Rahab, but I think, certainly not the same situation as Rahab, because Rahab, I think, they did the right thing. You know, she converted. The Gibeonites lied, and instead of consulting the Lord, they just believed the lie. But, 
with Rahab, there was the provision, if you don't uphold your end of the bargain, we won't uphold ours. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but there didn't seem to be a provision in this one. That, I agree. And maybe that should have been in there. You know, we swear to do this unless we find out you're from inside the land. Right. <laughs> I just don't understand why they didn't keep pursuing that point, unless it's just that, oh, wow, you mean they're coming from all this way? They've heard about us? They didn't love me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, uh, flattery just worries me. It's hard for me personally. I have made some poor decisions when people were flattering me. It goes to your head, then you just do stupid stuff. I guess it just bothers me that... So they made an oath to do the opposite of what God told them to do, and so to make it right, they're still going to do... Like, either way, they're going to do something wrong, so why don't you go back to what God told you to do originally? Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, it does. But there seems to be an overriding factor of this fulfilling the oath in this case. It appears that later the Lord himself upholds their oath. He does. With the whole thing with Saul's descendants, something or other, and they give them to the Gibeonites. Yeah, you're exactly right. Well, well, remember, that's First Samuel 21. No, Second Samuel 21. One of them Samuels. Because Saul did not honor this contract with the Gibeonites. Um, you know, he put a bunch of them to death. And God punished Israel in the time of David for what Saul had done with a three-year famine. And when David finally asked the Lord about it, he explains it. And so he goes, David goes to the Gibeonites and said, you know, what do you want? And they want seven of Saul's descendants hung, and that's what David does. So it certainly does appear that God enforced this contract with the Gibeonites. He's really picky about using his name in vain. You know, if, if we swear to something in his name, we've got to do it. Was it right for them to put them in that temple service? Because later on, they don't let foreigners help with the temple service. And well, I don't think these guys were inside the sanctuary or anything. They're just drawing the water and bringing the wood. I think it is okay that they did that. Other thoughts? It's interesting that the uh, throughout the entire wanderings in the wilderness... You hear the congregation grumbling over and over again, and now here they are grumbling against the leaders one more time. Yeah, just reminded me of them. So they need grumblers anonymous. Yeah, there we go. G A. Is there really gamblers? Gamblers, grumblers, you know, throw them all together. Grumbling gamblers. The gurs. Okay, uh, well, chapter 10, um, 1 to 15. What an interesting situation here. Now,